Yo, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy E or E Man, whichever one you prefer, and welcome to a new episode of E vs. the Culture Season 2. For any of you that don't know, this podcast is here to have an open and honest conversation about the systems and constructs in place to keep us from power. We also talk about everything relevant to the culture, whether that be politics, movies, music, and other forms of art and media. Doesn't matter what it is, we're here to talk about it. <sighs> Today, we've got a few subjects to break down. We're going to be talking about the horrific events that took place during the London Bridge attack that happened a couple of days ago. And we're going to be having a main topic, which was submitted by my good friend Michael, and that is the rise of racism. We're going to be talking about the history and the context between the racial racist systems we have in place today and how those affect the black community. So stay tuned for that. But... If you've listened to the first episode, you guys will know we have a little segment before we get into the topics now, and that segment is called Movie and Music Spotlights for the episode. Now, basically what that means is, during the week, before the episode airs, and before I film the episode, I will have watched a movie and listened to music, and if I think you guys will enjoy it, and I think it's good enough, then I'll let you guys know what that movie and piece of music is, and I'll suggest it to you guys, so you guys can go and listen to it. So, let's get into it. The first movie that I want to spotlight today is The Irishman. It's on Netflix. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. It features people like Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. It's an old gangster movie. A little bit of a disclaimer. The movie is three hours and 29 minutes long, so it is a long haul. But it is a great watch, I have to say. It is an amazing watch. Um, I was never bored. I was never like kind of like lagging out or anything like that. It was just a great movie. It's great to see Al Pacino and Robert De Niro share the screen again in an old gangster movie. And this is a defining for Martin Scorsese. This is possibly one of his best movies yet, and I enjoyed it so, so much. It was great to listen to. It was great to watch. It was It was just amazing. So, obviously, like I say, guys, it's a great movie. You guys should definitely go and watch it. It's available on Netflix right now. Um, and the piece of music that I want to suggest today is uh, by a band who I've been listening to all my life, basically, which is Linkin Park, rest in peace, Chester. And I was going back through their albums, and I came across an album that I haven't listened to that much, and that album is called The Hunting Party. Now, on The Hunting Party, um, it's got a song called All or Nothing, and the song's great. The song is great. I just enjoyed it so much. I'm not going to explain it too much because it's something you guys would have to listen to. It's got mostly Michael Shinoda's uh, vocals on there, which is great. Um, nice share between um, him and Chester on the track. Uh, it was just great to listen to. It was really enjoyable to go back and listen to a song that I would have listened to during my childhood. Um yeah, absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. So, guys, go and check that out. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, or any of your other music streaming apps. Maybe even on SoundCloud. Maybe even on here. So, yeah, that wraps up the movie and music spotlight for the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys checked them out. Again, The Irishman is a great watch if any of you guys love old gangster movies. And again, Linkin Park is just one of those bands. They're timeless. They're timeless. So, yeah, rest in peace, Chester. And we'll start getting into the main topics of the day. Okay, so let's get into the main topics of the day. We're just going to run through the London Bridge attack, which happened two days ago. Sad, sad, and horrific. I'm not going to mention the man who committed the atrocities name. I don't feel like the man deserves any kind of notoriety or attention in life or in death. I don't think he should be allowed that. I disagree with news outlets using his name. Um, 
the story, I think, yeah, his story, I think, yes, you need context behind certain things. But to name him and to put a name to the act, I will not do. Um, I just want to start off by saying condolences to the families of the two people who lost their lives, Jack Merritt and Saskia Jones. Um, so sad. Both of them Cambridge graduates. Uh, both of them attending a... Um, event or a conference at the fishmonger hall which is right next to london bridge where the attack first started um in fishmongers hall and they were there for a uh, prison prisoner rehabilitation and reform conference um which this madman was also in attendance for and it's sad to think that they lost their lives for absolutely no reason other than just for someone to you know spread hate Especially when both Jack and Saskia's lives, you know, they were, they filled everybody around them with joy. You know, they were the centre of a load of people, of people's lives. It's just sad to think those people have been stripped of those beautiful souls simply because a man, a madman decided, you know what, I'm going to take their lives. It's just disgusting. Um, and I'm not even going to try and put any rationale behind it because there is no rationale behind it. Now, I just want to say a little bit about Jack and Saskia because it leads into the main topic today, um, which is it's almost it's almost fate in a sense. Jack and Saskia's work as Cambridge graduates, especially in criminal uh, criminology and criminal law. Um, Jack, especially, there was a post that was up on Twitter um, that highlighted one of the papers or studies he wrote, which was talking about the overrepresentation of black, Asian, and non-white people within the prison system. And the, uh, as far as I know, that paper went on to talk about the need for reform to help um, impoverished communities like black community, like the um, the poorer parts of the Asian community, and stop them being overrepresented, overrepresented in crime statistics and prison statistics. Um, great, amazing work, and definitely work that here I definitely support. You guys know in Everse the Culture, the first episode, I definitely spoke at length about the prison system. I'll definitely be talking about it at length today as well and you know it's great to see that jack this was something that jack was something that he believed in the same with saskia they were both at this conference to help prisoners um you know break the chains that prison had placed on them and help them re-enter society think of new ways to help them you know in terms of education making them productive members of society you know and it's just sad that they lost their lives to a madman to an absolute madman um Obviously, you can look up on articles. There are loads of uh, articles about the comments that both their families made. I'll be talking specifically about Jack's a little Jack's family a little bit later. Um, but the general consensus is these were amazing people from both statements from both families. They were amazing people who not only knew each other but shared the same goal and who strove to make other people's lives better people they didn't even know make their lives better and as both their families described they were amazing people they were once in a lifetime people and i just want to pay my respects to them as amazing people and commend their efforts when it came to the prison uh system in the uk and trying to find ways to help prisoners um you know it's just it's so sad so sad um it's not it's something that shouldn't have happened ever you know but here we are and rest may they rest in peace may they their souls find rest 
Um, it's so sad considering that Jack was about to start his new life with his girlfriend. Um, you know, so sad because but and Saskia as well. They had so much to go for. On Saskia had finished her master's degrees at master's degree at Cambridge, and she was going on to do amazing things. It's just sad to see these people were cut down. These amazing people were cut down in their prime by a lunatic. It's just it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. And I want to talk about as well a who someone who's been dubbed the hero of London Bridge and he is a hero indeed. Um the only name that comes up there is no last name is Lucas. I hope I'm not butchering that, but Lucas he's um he was a man who was in the basement of Fishmongers Hall when the attack broke out and when the attack on Jack and Saskia broke out. Um he removed a giant narwhal tusk off the wall um in fishmongers hall and proceeded for a whole minute to defend um the people escaping from the attacker um he was slashed five times slashed and tapped five times on his left arm and even so he stood firm and fought off the attacker to the best of his ability um eventually with others when they turned up about a minute later forcing him out of the building and onto the bridge where there is footage along with someone using a fire extinguisher i think as well to attack the attacker or the uh, lunatic and keep him at bay from attacking other members of the public this is a man who exemplifies and shows everything we value as british citizens and everything we say we stand for you know there's been a lot of anti-immigrant talk in the last couple of years but and i presume because i haven't found any information that mr Laskers immigrated here um considering the fact that poland themselves are, offer, are offering up a um a award or a medal of some sort to award his courage and his sacrifice um for other people and to bring this attacker down um i presume he is an immigrant if not i'm not trying to offend at all it's just a lack of information there maybe i should do more research i will inform you if i find out later that he is or is not but this man exemplifies everything it means to be a British citizen. He put everybody else before himself and put everybody else's safety above his own. He fought regardless of how hurt he was. The chief executive of Fishbunger Hall, who knew Laskev, knew that um, Laskev was badly injured on his left arm. He could barely hold his left arm up, so blood loss, the knife wounds, everything. And Laskev has not come forward to talk to the media because, as the chief executive said, he is very, he's a very humble person and doesn't see the need for himself to be commended. I'm just confused as to why the British government and why he, uh, the British government has not made a move to commend him and award him as well, considering the fact that everything he did was an act of everything we believe to be British. Everything we hold dear, every ideal, every belief we hold, he exemplified that and showed that when he fought with no, for no, for no, you know, minding of his own safety, he fought to protect others and maintain the safety of others. He is one of the main reasons why this attacker was brought down. You know, it was, it was reported by Sky that when Laskev went to uh, jab the person, the attacker, with the narwhal claw uh tusk um he felt it hit something hard then revealing and then realizing it was a vest um, possibly an explosive vest that information was obviously relayed to the police officers who then took out um this madman and you know that information was vital whether or not laskev was the one who provided it or not that information is crucial and laskev was instrumental in bringing this attacker down so i want to commend him 
and thank you for his sacrifice and his bravery and his inspiration because as people we need to understand there's not enough of that anymore there's not enough sacrificing there's no laying on the line to let your friend cross over or let someone you don't know him cross over there's no holding the barbed wire so someone can get through anymore and this is just Lasker's sacrifice his bravery it is everything it means to be British. So I fully expect the British government to commend him and award him. I expect it. I think a lot of other people should too. I think a lot of other people should too because this shows exactly how meaningful people who aren't even from our own country, who weren't born here, are to our way of life, to showing us sometimes and reminding us that that's what it means to be British. Those are the values we should be holding. Um, And, you know thank Laska so much from stop it for stopping a great loss of life and helping bring this madman down obviously thank you to the police officers who assisted as well but this is real civilian hero uh, heroism um now moving on from Laskev, um, I want to discuss something that also happened, someone who was also involved. This is in no way a, commenda- a commendation of what he did. This is no acknowledgement of him as a person um, because I don't feel like this person needs to be honoured. I don't feel like they deserve to be. I don't think they deserve to be um, commemorated in any way um, because at the end of the day, this man has a great debt to society and great debt to a family and people. And, you know, this will not wipe away his history. And that, of course, I'm talking about Mr. James Ford. Um, I'm going to be talking about circumstances around uh, his prison sentence a bit later because there's, some, there's something specific I want to talk about, not about him specifically, but about around the circumstances of his um, prison life. Um, James Ford was one of the people who was hailed as the London Bridge terror attack hero. Um, essentially, he helped assist Laskev and some other members of the public from wrestling, uh, the uh, you know, keeping the attacker at bay. And per, I think it needs to be told that Mr. Ford, um, or James Ford, uh, 42 years old, um, was jailed in 2004 for the murder of Amanda Champion. Uh, she was a 21-year-old with learning difficulties. And he killed her in Ashford. And he was serving the final days of his sentence at Sheppey Open Prison, uh, HMP Stanford Hill. Now, he was near the end of his prison sentence, and this was just a day released for him to go to the conference, I believe. Um, yeah, he... he um, he was let out to go to the conference. And, yeah, he helped He helped bring the attacker down. But that in no way wipes away his legacy, which was killing Amanda Champion. At 21 years old, she was disabled. She had the age of uh, the mental age of a 15-year-old. And he left her body in a wasteland. So this man deserves no kind of credit whatsoever. I'm sorry. Um, he doesn't. And as um, Amanda Champion's aunt says here, um, let me just uh, get it up here. Um, she said to the Daily Mail, uh, Miss, Miss Angela Cox, Amanda Champion's aunt, uh, she said, he is not a hero. He is a murderer out on day release, which us as a family didn't know anything about. He murdered a disabled girl. He is not a hero. Absolutely not. The police liaison officer called me saying he was on TV. I am so angry. They let him out without even telling us any of my family could have seen him in London could have been in London and just bumped into him it was a hell of a shock and for that I completely agree at the end of the day um, I agree with day releases depending on the sentence and depending on the uh, circumstances around the prisoner I agree with that but this is a murderer this is a man who killed a 
21-year-old disabled girl. There is no redemption there, regardless of his acts. Um, there is no... There is no... Um, there is no redemption there for him. And it says here on his picture from the Kent Online article, uh, convicted killer James Ford came to the aid of a woman stabbed during the London Bridge terror attack. Fair enough, mate, but, you know, you're, there is no there is no comment, commending him there. There is no elevating him as a person. He was a criminal. He was a sick man. Um, and nothing will ever be able to wipe away that legacy, unfortunately. So, you know, that's my position on that. I thought I thought I need to mention it. I need to put it out right here because I don't want James Ford's name being messed up with someone like Luskev, who is a man who done nothing wrong, who took it upon himself to save those around him. And regardless of whether or not James Ford, you know, in a sense, did similar things by helping one of the victims of the attack that in no way should be that that in no way should be anything that allows him to be forgiven or anything that allows him to feel like he has earned forgiveness and he has you know he has redeemed himself because in no way has he but i thought i'd mention that because when talking about the london attack obviously i've got to talk about a lot of aspects of it um and james ford was definitely a prominent aspect of the london bridge tax i thought i'd mention it disavow his actions beforehand acknowledge the fact that he did help someone but at that point also say that it doesn't deserve any extra credit it doesn't deserve any credit really at all for the things he's already done so i thought i'd get that out of the way so yeah like i said like i started this i want to say jack merritt saskia jones and obviously um saskia jones and luskiv i don't want to say his name wrong lucas 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 sorry i think i've been saying it wrong it's lucas or lucas um l-u-k-a-s-z i don't want to offend anybody i'm not trying to um it's just i can't pronounce it properly um i haven't heard anybody pronounce it so uh, i'm so sorry about that i don't mean to offend anybody but i want to say for those free people for those brave people for those amazing people um may jack and saskia rest in peace rest in peace and may lucas make a full recovery may he make a full recovery and live the rest of his life he deserves to be commended not just by a polish government but by the british government as well he deserves that attention he deserves that praise because the man is worthy of it the man is worthy uh, of it because he upheld everything that we believe to be british um so yeah again absolutely amazing um from luca lucas um i'm just sad that jack and saskia had to lose their lives before he could intervene um again this madman will not this bright madman will not uh, divide us in a sense now i am going to talk about in a little bit um about the political response to this um which we'll be talking about in a second or will be um i will be um segueing over that topic very quickly um but yeah i'd just like to honor jack saskia and lucas because they are amazing people they are as i've said before everything it means to be british they are those people um you know they did jack and saskia did not deserve to die lucas did not deserve to be put in that kind of position and the fact that when the you know when the chance came Luke has acted in every way that I'd expect every British citizen to act, which is total disregard for himself and, 
you know, totally making sure that the people around him were given a chance. And, you know, to great cost to himself, he could have lost the uh, he could have lost his left arm if things had got any worse. And even when his left arm did get hurt, he still soldiered on, and that is a true British hero, um, as far as I'm concerned. So coming up next we're going to be talking about the political conversation around the london bridge attack uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, especially comments made by jack Merritt's father um and we're going to be covering those a little bit so yeah we're going to segue into that conversation and yeah let's get into it all right so we're going to start talking about obviously the political conversation coming out of the london bridge attack we're going to be looking at some articles uh, that have come out recently, um, specifically one by a New York uh, New York Times. Uh, it's an opinion piece by Emma Goldberg. She was a classmate of Jack Merritt. Um, essentially, she 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 was a good friend of Jack, and basically talking about Jack's at least Jack's position in terms of when it comes to prison reform, when it comes to, uh, you know, rehabilitation reform for prisoners. Um, She essentially goes on to talk about um, how when she was studying, um, when she was studying and she was with Jack, the inmates that they were dealing with were studying uh, criminal justice with students at the University of Cambridge. And it was part of a program called Learn Together. Um, Jack got up, recited a poem at the end of the class, and she goes on to talk about how, you know, it's, you know, it's tough, man. It's it's difficult. You know, it's difficult to look at how Jack spent his life. Um... You know, yeah, it's, she goes on to talk about um, Jack, Jack Merritt's father, David Merritt, who wrote a tribute uh, for Jack. Um, he called Jack a beautiful spirit. And on Twitter, he said, my son, Jack, who was killed in this attack, would not wish his death to be used uh, uh, as the pretext for more draconian sentences or for detaining people unnecessarily. Um, it's it's as as the as the article writer the opinion piece Emma goes on to say here um, these words pulling reason out of heartache bear remembering they uh, bear remembering they're a ch- challenge to, to a society stretched thin by ideological debate a challenge to mourn Jack's death without forgetting what he stood for and you know when we look at what Jack stood for when we look at the post that was made on Twitter of one of Jack's um, studies he did you know he genuinely believed that the prison uh the prison system at the minute was fundamentally flawed it was fundamentally flawed for black and non-white groups of people we're being overrepresented in statistics we're being thrown into a system where there is no remorse there is little way to rehabilitate yourselves into the outside world and you know there's not many opportunities it's not very nice conditions and that's what jack stood for and you know as Jack's father, David, says, no more draconian measures, um, you know, and no further punishing of uh, prisoners who are already in there. You know, they're punished enough. You're not allowed to vote if you're in prison and you've been uh, you've been charged. You know, you're not allowed to. It goes on your job. And 
you know, I guess I agree in some measure, depending on the measure of the crime, that yes, those things, you, you should have some of your freedoms removed uh, in a sense of, you know, things like you should have to put on your job application that you have been uh, incarcerated uh, previously before. And it should be known to the employer who is looking to employ exactly what you did. When it comes to people for small petty crimes and all that kind of stuff, I don't believe it should be put on uh, your job application. I don't think you should be red marked for the rest of your life. And without getting too deep into what Jack um, himself thought, you know, even the title of his paper and his study, you know, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, even here I'm reading an independent article where uh, London, it's the title and the headline is London Bridge Victims' Father Condemns Beyond Disgusting Boris Johnson for Using Son's Death for Political da- uh, Game. I'm going to read the article out here. Um, the father of a man killed in London Bridge terror attack has shared post calling Boris Johnson's response to the murderers beyond disgusting. David Merritt, whose son Jack was on one of the two people killed by convicted terrorists, I'm not going to say his name, on Friday, condemned the Prime Minister and Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, for using the attack as justification for a series of tougher criminal policies. Mr Merritt suggested the Tories were using his son to death to uh, promote vile propaganda and shared a tweet accusing Mr Johnson of, Johnson of trying to make political gain uh, from people's death in a terror incident. Cambridge University graduate Jack Merritt, 25, worked for the Learning uh, Learning Together programme, which uses education to try to rehabilitate prisoners into the community. Following the attack, the Conservatives vowed to toughen terror sentences and stop criminals entering the UK from the uh, EU and launched a crackdown on people convicted of terrorism offences who had been released early. That prompted Mr Merritt to uh, share a tweet by left-wing journalist and academic Ashton Carr, who, uh, which said, It's beyond disgusting that Boris Johnson, Pretty Patel, and newspapers like the Daily Mail using Jack Merritt's death and image to promote an agenda he fought against all his life. He was passionate believer in rehabilitation and transformative justice, not draconian sentencing. He then retweeted a second post by Miss Sakar, which Jack said... Jack, uh, which said Jack Merritt's family and loved ones have uh, asked that right-wing newspapers and political parties do not use the murder, his murder to advance reactionary demands. If you see it happening, call it out. They deserve so much better. <sighs> Mr Merritt also posted two front-page articles about the Conservative crackdown on released terror offences, writing, don't use my son's death and his colleagues' photos to promote your vile propaganda. Jack stood against everything you stand for, hatred, division and ignorance. And he shared a tweet by broadcaster Kay Burley and said Labour and Tory leaders are using London Bridge uh, attack as campaigning talk. Shame on them. And another tweet from uh, a user that claimed the BBC, which had granted the Prime Minister a lengthy interview on Sunday, was facilitating Johnson to make political gain from people's death in a terror incident. Within hours in which Mr, I'm not going to say his name, also killed 23-year-old Saskia Jones, Mr Merritt posted on Twitter that um, his son would not wish his death to be used as the pretext for more draconian sentences or for detaining people unnecessarily. So I'm not saying the name, was shot dead by armed police after stabbing five people in London Bridge. He attended an event at Fishmonger's Hall in the rehabilitation of prisoners. He was in jail in 2012 for his involvement in a plot to blow up the London Stock Exchange and was sentenced to 16 years. However, he was automatically released in 2018. The decision has been subject of a row be- uh, between Labour and Conservatives, which each party blaming policies introduced by the, uh, by the other winning government. Calm was involved... Oh, crap... I'll bleep that out, was used by the programme as a case uh, case study of uh, a positive outcome. It is reported um, 
to have been supported in his rehabilitation by Jack Merritt, the man he would go on to murder. It's it's sad and it's, you know, Labour and the Conservatives are just, you know, just as bad because there were a couple of twists about between Priti Patel and a Labour shadow secretary, I believe. And they were arguing over whose laws it was that had introduced this uh, these issues. Boris Johnson released a lengthy amount of tweets on whose fault um, this madman's release was on. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a failing of the system overall. It's not just a failing of one government. And, you know, it goes to speak to the fact that, unfortunately, we do not seem to be represented, um, you know, and the issues of prisoners, the struggles of prisoners, um, you know, who in some cases may not even need to be there. Um, their struggles are being used, um, have, have been drawn out by both governments and both sides of the aisle. And, you know, as Jack Merritt's father said, draconian sentencing and policies that promote ignorance, hatred and division, you know, they have done nothing but eat up communities, throw them in prison and then lock or throw away the key. You know, and unfortunately, yes, this madman was the recipient of, you know, ways that almost help prisoners. And it's sad to know that, you know, he was one of the people who was released. It's sad to see that he's one of the people who, at the end of the day, harmed the issue more than he helped it. You know, you just killed two people and attacked three others. You know, it's you've defeated the purpose for which Jack stood for. And, you know, it's it's so empowering to see that Jack's father, David, has spoken up about this and that he's called it out because we do need to call it out at the end of the day. Um, you know, we now live in a world where politicians react to the immediate reactions of the public without knowing, without those members of the public knowing full damn well what's gone on yet, you know, without a, um, without a mass of knowledge on the subjects they talk about, you know, loads of the public were straight out saying, oh, this is a, this is a terrorist attack, it's a Muslim terrorist attack. No, wait, hold on. Again, we haven't had a motive as of yet. Yes, he was involved in a prior terrorist attack with an Islamist group, I believe, but that does not yet indicate that his attack was religiously motivated. Um, you know, the, this whole reactionary thing for Boris Johnson to try and win votes and then destroy Labour. I mean, I've seen people on my Instagram, I'm not going to name who, they will know who they are, but who have been sharing things like, oh, um, Jeremy Corbyn essentially said that the circumstances around prisoners needs to be um, considered before prisoners released, which is absolutely right. The circumstances do need to be considered as someone who, you know, agrees with the... Um, with the program of rehabilitation, I still do agree that the circumstances do need to be heavily considered. They do need to be heavily weighed. They need to go through the proper channels. And people who are turning into Jeremy Corbyn being a prisoner sympathiser, a terrorist sympathiser, no, that's not the case. And if you do believe that is the case, then you thoroughly haven't understood what the man said. And, you know, you are blatantly creating a opposite narrative to serve your political agenda and you know i say it the same conservative voter no labor voters will be doing the same you know this has turned into a political issue whereas it should just be it's a humanitarian and a social issue at the end of the day that's what jack um and his colleague um sorry and his colleague um saskia believed and that's what they fought for it's just disgusting to see that you know it's being used for political gain. Again, I don't know how this is going to 
pan out. Probably Boris Johnson will come out and Jeremy Corbyn will come out with more nonsense on the issue. And it's just upsetting to know that that's what their agenda is North. This is not to memorialise the people that have died. They'll be attending the memorial for... Um, sorry, there. I can tell the mic went a bit right there. But they'll be attending the memorial for Jack and Saskia. Um, I think it would be a faith of goodwill as well to uh, honour Lucas as well, one of the men who helped attack and um, defend people against the uh, this madman. Um, you know, it's just upsetting to see it has become a completely political issue now, when in actual fact, no, it's a social and humanitarian issue. It's one that needs to be addressed, and we'll get on to that more in the next segment and the main topic. But, you know, it's just it's troubling to think that this is now how... This is now how we are going to approach any kind of tragedy and any kind of issue. It's just sad to see that that's the place that people are going to, especially our politicians. That's just disheartening, um, if I'm being completely honest. So, yeah, I mean, that's the political fallout of it. The BBC did offer a lengthy interview to Boris Johnson to explain himself and his position, which, again, as I've said multiple times, is a mistake. I think it's the same to let Jeremy Corbyn do the same as well. So, yeah, the political... The political um, mess that is spewing from this is unneeded it's unnecessary jack Merritt and his colleague saskia um are both amazing people so is lucas and they don't be they don't deserve to be used as political pawns in any way shape or form and it's just sad to see people and political parties using them like that you know learn from the lessons they have taught which is that jack believed the criminal justice system and the prison system needed to be highly reformed to fit the measures um, the appropriate measures for prisoners and you know it's just not happening so yeah we're going to get more into that when we start talking about the rise of racism um, now so yeah thank you guys so much for listening again at the end of this segment I'd just like to honour both Jack Merritt his colleague Saskia Jones and of course Lucas um, I'd just like to honour them all their sacrifice their bravery everything absolutely amazing um, people and you know i hope i hope their families can recover from this and you know they can see the example everybody can see the example that these three people uh gave and follow it and follow it so yeah in the next segment we're going to be talking about um we're going to be talking about the rise of racism going in more about that so stay tuned for that and just uh yeah we're just gonna have a little message and a little bit of a break and we'll be back with the rise of racism thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be back in a second Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of E versus the Culture Season 2. If you're enjoying today's episode and you want to hear more, then subscribe, follow and like this episode. Share it with your friends and make some noise about it. The only way we can really speak truth to power is to amplify the voices of those bringing that power into question and to get educated. So hopefully this podcast will help you do that. So I'd appreciate if you join the movement and the family and help out in whatever way you can. Sharing this, subscribing on whatever platform you're on, liking it and just getting the tracks and moving guys thank you so much for listening to this episode and let's get into the next topic so welcome back again guys and now we're going to be getting into our main topic which is the rise of racism within the united kingdom now i talk about the subject quite a bit because it's quite you know it's quite a difficult one for people to get their heads around quite simply and i don't know why um not so much for black people at all um a lot of white people I know who are quite, you know, who are quite 
socially and quite historically knowledgeable know uh, know that obviously the systems uh, are there in a lot of cases to prevent black people and Asian people from excelling in a lot of areas. Uh, but you know, it's still something that I find myself having to explain quite a bit, and it's quite simple. You know, Britain uh, had an empire; the United Kingdom had an empire, um, a colonial empire that stretched almost everywhere in the world everywhere in the world and africa was one of the main staging posts and experiment posts for the british empire you know a lot of africa was british uh british territory and you know the simple matter of the fact is and i know people don't like to hear it britain raised africa and britain and other western countries raised africa to the bare bone that's why we see so much poverty in africa because economically the continent is still unstable the continent is still suffering from the colonial scars left by britain and other western countries like france and uh and holland there are uh, you know that is why there's no in terms of in terms of economy and in terms of finances there's nothing really in africa that valuable anymore uh, most of the natural resources or at least most of the natural um expensive natural items there like gems diamonds emeralds all that kind of stuff were completely raised by uh the british and other western countries to the point now that in terms of the land now on the continent it has no real economic value and unfortunately that just means that the countries there just, just they can't do much in a lot of sense you know britain used the africa for farmland to collect food and all that kind of stuff spices everything like that um, and as well to excel their military advantage as well. So, And that led into the slave trade. And after the slave trade and all that kind of stuff, it then led to uh, the First and Second World War, wherein the government, after the end of both of them, you know, asked all of the nations that used to be under imperial rule and all the nations that were under imperial rule, especially in Africa and Asia, to come back to Britain to obviously help rebuild it, like it was the land of opportunity, which we know now it wasn't. An opportunity to collar us, collar us more like. And, you know, racism has been prevalent since. Um, it's it's ridiculous. I'm reading here um, a summary by um, historicengland.org.uk. And it starts with racism and resistance. Imperial European powers found ways to justify the barbaric slave system and the invasion, colonisation and expropriation of foreign lands for the expansion of their wealth. And that's all it was. Black people suffered, their culture and their riches suffered so that Britain and other Western empires could expand on their on, on their treasures. Um Britain created a hierarchy with white Europeans at the top and then Africans and Asians at the bottom. And racism just became embedded in the structure because everything, bar that, when black people, when Asian people started to flood into the UK um, after the whole colonisation, the era of colonisation and after the end of the British Empire, um, you know, just the simple fact that Britain had subjugated so many African and Asian nations, it was the opinion of white Europeans that Africans and Asians were beneath them in terms of social class, in terms of their worth. We were second-class citizens. And at the end of the day, if that was the attitude of the everyday British person, then the laws at that time began to reflect, and the policy began to reflect the ideals and the beliefs of the people. So the systems, like the criminal justice system, like the, um, like the prison system, um, 
like uh, the financial system, government, all of it, all of it was set up in the mind of black people and Asian people were second class citizens, and that white people were first class citizens. So the system was always built and the system is still around now. This is the thing. The prison, the prison system now is just a newer version of the system that existed back then. It hasn't changed that much in a lot of sense. Yes, prisoners have more rights, but in terms of what feeds it is black bodies. The laws in this country were set around to put black people in prison. And at that point, once the prison system had them, that's it. There's not much you can do. And it's the same now, you know. Sus laws, stop and search laws, you know, the crackdown of poor economic, uh, sending more police officers into poor black communities where crime is rife simply because of the fact that the government fails to invest in black communities. It takes away social centres, it takes away social safety nets. And, you know, and, you know, these things have continued to, you know, destroy the black community socially, economically. Um, you know, and the government seems to have no um, real plan to change that or to rectify the situation. And this is all born out of the idea that black communities are expendable. You know, black people are expendable. You know, they're something that the white man can move, do anything they want to. And, you know, I mean, moving on to things like racist attacks. In 1919, there were large-scale racist attacks on coloured communities in London, Manchester, Liverpool, Hull and South Shields, as well as parts of Scotland and Wales. And, you know, at this point, it's such a widespread philosophy that black people are second-class citizens. You know, we it's easy. We can go on to things like, you know, <laughs> go on to things like uh, uh, Stephen Lawrence, you know, Stephen Lawrence, Akhtar Al-Baig, you know, things like that. We can get, we can go through all of them, you know, all of them. And it's just, it's sad because at some point, when did we ever become something of any kind of worth? When did that come? And the truth is it's never has come because we're still expendable, you know, we're still something for, you know, us to like to be walked over. When Stephen Lawrence bloody died, the BNP moved into Welling. You know, to make a statement, to make a statement about, you know, anti the whole anti-black thing, the whole anti-immigrant thing. Like, that's what they that's what they moved into Welling for. It's always been like this. And, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It it's just ridiculous. Because considering how much black people, the Windrush generation, and Asian immigrants all contributed to the rebuilding of the British economy after the war, and the rebuilding to the British um, infrastructure after the war, there were things like the colour bar, that present that prevented black people and Asian people from obtaining jobs and accommodation, uh, fighting for things like the British boxing titles or joining the armed forces or serving as officers in them. And then there were some laws as well. The 1925 Coloured Alien um, Seamen's Order or the 1981 British Nationality Act. These were all things to remove the identity of black people and place them as second-class citizens, to remove their freedoms and to remove their rights simply based because of the colour of their skin. Like, it's ridiculous. Politicians. Politicians. Enoch Powell's River of Blood, uh, River of Blood um, tirade in 1968. Ridiculous. Racist organisations like the National Front, the BNP, UKIP, you know, these systems exist and it's tiring. It's tiring because I have to sit here and go, I genuinely have to sit here and go, do you know what would really, it's, it's, 
it's frustrating to listen to because this thing is still these ideas are still prevalent the amount of times let, let me let me let me formulate this the amount of times i've had conversations with my not with stop the amount of times i've had conversations with my white friends and I have made the point that the reason knife crime is so prevalent, the reason gang violence is so prevalent, is because there is a massive economic void within black communities in London. The government has stripped away, or stripped away social safety nets and social programmes that have helped black people stay away from gangs, stay away from violence, you know. But at the same time, there's been no significant economic uh, development or investment. So at the end of the day, black communities are still inherently poor. There is no way for black people to sit there and get themselves out of that situation because there is no real social or economic investment. If you start to invest in these communities, if you start to invest in education, in their social welfare programmes and in their social programmes just in general in terms of, you know, their... In terms of like actually, you know, investing in programs that keep kids off the street, that give them almost like a family unit, unit, you will almost start, you will see instantly, I think, with the reinstitution of social centres and community centres, with actual economic investment in black people and black communities, and with social investment into black communities, you know, putting a spotlight on, I think you will start to see a rise, or no, a decline in knife crime numbers. I genuinely think you will. But like I was saying, when I talk to my white friends about this, there's the instant backlash of, well, I don't, I don't know how I'd put it. Because I know it's born out of ignorance. I know it's not racism at all. It's not racism. It's born more of ignorance. Um, and it's a stereotype more than anything. But, you know... <sighs> It's difficult because I will talk to my white friends who are completely ignorant on the subject and they'll go, oh, black people just commit more crimes. That's why there are so, there are so many black people being arrested. That's why stop and search is a thing. Yes, you're right. But why are black people committing more crimes? Why are there more black people in gangs? Well, it's simple. Lack of social and economic investment in black communities. In fact, there's been more taken away from black communities in London recently than there has been given. They've taken away community centres. They've taken away social welfare programmes. They've introduced things like uh, introduced things like um, universal credit, which has crippled black communities in terms of benefits and improving. And, you know, as I said, when you invest in these communities, when you invest in the younger generation and invest in their education and their social programs and you invest in them economically, you give them and show them opportunities for jobs, you will significantly reduce the amount of black people joining gangs because there is no economic or social incentive for them to join them in the first place. You know, that's just that's simple. That's simple there. There is no difficulty getting, you know, getting that into your head. Give these kids an alternative, which the government isn't willing to offer. It's so frustrating when I hear my white friends say that, but they're not prepared to listen to the fact that actually this was caused by the government and the government is now refusing to fix it. They took away all these opportunities for children. They took away all the economic and job opportunities for children. You know, and you sit there and expect them to just fend for themselves, which... You know, everybody can make the argument, oh, well, people do that all the time. Yeah, but I'm not being funny. There's not many circumstances where a specific group and race of people have had, for no reason other than the fact that they're black or they're a different colour to white people, you don't have 
those groups of people who are continually punished just for the fact that they have a different color skin and because they're black you don't have them punished and then told oh pick yourself up by your own bootstraps that's martin luther king said we're continually told to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps but when the government has taken our bootstraps how the hell are we supposed to get up anyway how are you supposed to pick yourself up with your boot by your bootstraps if you have no bootstraps how does that make sense and it's just a history and a continual history of racism of institutionalized oppression and that's what it is you know Britain has done better than uh, has done better in this sector than America has because um, you know there is this outside appearance that black people are doing better. Black people aren't being shot in the street, you know, like uh, black people in America are. Black people aren't being killed in custody by uh, finger happy, uh, trigger happy police officers. Let me tell you this: if America had no, if the UK had guns for police officers still. The rate at which black people were shot by police officers was skyrocket. The reason that it obviously police officers are no longer allowed to carry firearms isn't because of attacks on black people. It was something for something completely unrelated. Okay? So at that point, that law wasn't specifically changed to help black people. It was for completely different reasons. So now we're supposed to go, oh, we're better off than America because the UK decided to ban firearms, which means black people won't be shot anymore. No, that's not why the firearms were taken away from police officers and why they have to be specialised to carry them and why they're not allowed to open carry them. They're, you know, it's ridiculous, this premise that we have to be thankful for things and changes that this country has done for its white residents more than anything while simultaneously taking things away from us and limiting our rights because of. At the end of the day, you still can't take away the fact that, yes, black people and Asian people are overrepresented in prison statistics. There has been nothing from the government to change that. And this takes me back to what Jack, uh, what Jack Merritt was doing, what Saskia Jones was doing. Because at the end of the day, they, know, they noticed that the, prison and the criminal justice system is being so inflated with black bodies in it and other non-white bodies in it that you've got to start looking at why, these, why it's happening. Why are there so many black people in the system? Why are there so many non-white people in the system? And the truth is, the government is failing its duty to the black community, to the Asian community. It's simple. Invest in those communities. Invest in black and Asian entrepreneurs more. You know, invest in black communities. Take away blanket stop and searches and put targeted stop and searches in place. At that point, you make stop and searches completely community-based um, information gathering. That is essentially what you do. Members of the community go to liaison officers and say, look, this has been happening with so-and-so. We believe that he's involved in some kind of illegal activity. There you go. The police officers didn't act on that information. If the guy has something, then they have something. At that point, the community, one, has helped itself. And two, there is a better relationship between the community and police officers. I'm not this person who goes and sits in there and says, oh, no snitching, no snitching. Because at the end of the day, the no snitching policy itself has done enough to help destroy the black community. The black community is hurting itself with the no snitching policy. That is my position on it. So anybody that comes to me with, oh, oh that's snitching, you're a snitch. Yeah, I am a snitch because I'm sorry, I'm not going to protect someone. Say if my best friend gets killed 
okay? I'm not going to go and seek out personal justice. I want that person to be punished for what he did. So I want him locked away for as long as possible. And I want him to suffer the consequences. I want him to sit in prison for what he's done. I'm not just going to sit there, not say anything, and let people handle it themselves. No, I'm sorry. That guy is going to rot in prison. I don't care if I get called a snitch for it. That's it. That is what you do for at that point. That is what you do to honor the memory of your friend. You go through the proper channels. You don't uh, do what they would want you to do although no you don't do something they wouldn't want you to do they wouldn't you wouldn't want you to seek out personal justice they'd want you to make sure that person is punished properly and that they have some kind of justice for you know what's happened to them so that was a bit of a tangent there but i make my point you know african caribbean and asian um people have been treated horribly in the past by the uk and by the system in the uk like i alluded to stop and search laws these weren't introduced just a couple of years ago no sus laws have existed since before 1980 riots in brixton and handsworth you know two notably uh notably national riots uh, in brixton and london and in handsworth uh near birmingham you know massive riots simply because of the fact that the black people there fought the police and they were right the police were abusing their stop and search powers to uh racially target uh black people and you know oppress the communities there and they were completely right for it but you know these aren't new concepts and if they didn't work back in the 1980s they're surely not working now you know stop and searches hasn't led to uh knife crime going down if anything the reaction from those people is that knife crime's going up you know because the actual the actual criminals aren't being caught the actual criminals aren't being caught and they're being allowed to walk off on the street. But it's okay as long as you meet your quota of black kids to search today, you know, black kids in tracksuit bottoms, as long as you meet that quota, you're fine. Um, and I find it just fucking ridiculous, excuse my language. Um, you know, it's... These systems... It's a, on a documentary I watched, Ava DuVernay's The 13th, um, it was very telling when one of the women on there said, these systems don't go they evolve they move into the, they move into the next form and that's exactly what the uk system has done here i mean i'm reading some articles there's one from the independent there's one from the guardian um here and where is it where's this Given Britain's history, it's no surprise that racism still affects our politics. Yet, because you're reaching, trying to reach a majority white audience, which is the audience you want to meet. It's not like in um, America, where black people are slowly becoming a more influential part of the electorate. No, because voting participation within the black community is slowly dwindling in the UK, we're not an effective voting demographic. And unfortunately, that means that UK policies and British uh, uh British party policies aren't geared towards us, not geared towards uh, affecting us. You know, again, it's racism in the UK is now covert. There's things like black fishing where you get the Fiat 500 girls who go, oh, no, no, that's not racist. That's not racist. Um, putting too much fake tan to look like a black person isn't racist. Okay, but it's still black fishing. Regardless of whether or not you think it's racist or not, it's still black fishing where a white person cosmetically darkens their skin to achieve a darker look, the look of a darker individual. That is black fishing and it's border blackface at the end of the day. Yes, it is racist. I don't care if it's for a joke or for it's a costume party. It is racist blackface is cemented in the history of racism against black people and the oppression of black people if only people knew exactly what how bad of an image white people blackfacing made 
of the black community would have no idea. Emmett Till was strung from a tree. During the 1960s, 1970s, black people were strung from trees every single day, every hour of the day, because of the images that white people created of black people using blackface. It is an act of racism. Its history will never be erased. So for white people to go, especially Fiat 500 girls, to go, oh, it's not racist. No, the act itself is racist. You may not be a racist, but the act itself is a racist. And I'm sorry, I'm sick and tired of giving these people passes for ignorance. No, Black people have been loud enough on the subject for the last couple of years and said, this is offensive, it is blackfishing, it is blackface, and white people have done nothing but rebound against it. The point is, at the end of the day, if you are darkening your skin to the point that you resemble a black person, that is blackface. And there is no ignorance about it because people know enough about it now. The black people community have been loud enough about it. So all this bollocks of ignorance and pleading ignorance, no. You don't get it anymore. You know, it's so... It's like I say, racism in the UK is so covert because people look over at what's happening in America and they say, oh, well, that's not happening here. Black people aren't being shot every day. You know, black people aren't being thrown in prison for, you know, smoking weed or something um, for long amounts of time. No, but that's not the point. There are other forms of institutional oppression and racism. Like I say, limiting the black communities could potential economically and financially by not putting more money into schools and programs for educating black kids, not giving black kids enough um, opportunities when it comes to jobs, you know, not reinvesting in social community centres and all that kind of stuff. There is this passive, this, this, this sense of, oh, we'll leave you to your own devices, knowing full damn well that when we do, you'll self-destruct. That there is, that there is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And that, again, is why people don't believe racism is that prevalent anymore, why institutional racism doesn't exist. Because they look at the situation and go, oh, well, you're not being, you know, gunned down in the street. You're not being attacked openly in public. At the end of the day, the amount of white people I've heard say nigger to their black friend or something or other, or go, can I use the N-word around you, this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, you know it's wrong. And the point is, yes, maybe the black community should do more to curtail that. But at the end of the day, racism does exist in the United Kingdom. It always has. The criminal justice system now has morphed into this monster where stop and search, blanket stop and searches, and the oppression of the police f towards the black community is now throwing more black people in jail than ever. We are having entire generations swept out of our communities, while at the same time the government is slowly and slowly taking more and more money from our community. There's limiting us within with our uh, potential. And again, I could go on about how many times you know this is not just a white problem because at the end of the day, I've criticised multiple times. If you, if people go back and watch my E versus the Culture season one episode one, where I talked about the very certain future now where the prison system will soon be privatized because the government can no longer afford to pay for the prison system anymore if the black community does not get its act up in terms of curtailing social issues like gang violence and like the no snitching policy then we will end up completely we will end up completely defensive so if the black community does not take up the mantle of dealing with some issues that we can ourselves but at the same time the you know, the government 
needs to start addressing these issues within the black community. Again, more police officers does not solve the problem. If you're not willing to heal the divide between the black community and police officers, a move to put more police officers on the street and a move to increase prison sentences, the only thing the black community is going to get from that is that the government is mobilising greater forces to oppress the black community that's exactly what it looks like when you fail and you leave these relationship issues un, um if you leave these issues untended and if you don't address these issues between the black community and the police the black community already views the police as an oppressive force they already view the government and the prison system as an offense uh, an offensive and oppressive force so if you start adding more police officers, if you start lengthening prison sentences, then at the end of the day, all the black community is going to see is that as that is a that is a further attack on the community. That's a further attempt for you to oppress the community. And it is at the end of the day because what you do is knowing that black people are going to be angry, knowing that black people are going to be more. Um, Knowing black people are going to be more advantageous towards the police and advantageous towards the war, where uh, the law you are going to create a system where black people act out in defiance and you arrest them for that defiance and it will keep growing, that hatred and division will keep growing and growing and growing to the point where the government can no longer afford to maintain the prison system to hold all these defiant black people and it will be privatised. And then at that point, frying black people in prison will then be a profit. It will then make a profit. It will then be a profit margin. Oh, we arrested so and so amount of black people today. That that's about what a, a good hundred and twenty thousand for today's quota. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, the reason that racism is so open in America is because you can draw a clear, um, a clear monetary line between historic events and why the system exists the way it does now you can show you can draw a clear monetary and financial line uh, whereas in the uk it's a lot harder to do that because again we're more focused on at the minute how you know how the government is removing money from black communities um you know and where that money is going it, it, it's like i say it's hot it's difficult to explain but it's a lot more difficult to trace the line for which the government treats the black community uh, now um in contrast to how it used to it's a lot harder to see that it's a lot harder to see that past and again slavery in the uk isn't mentioned that much when we talk about slavery we mostly talk about america um but slavery was pre prevalent in the u in the uk as well and that slavery has slowly morphed into again as i say has slowly morphed into the system we have at the minute so you know <sighs> I think I'm going to leave this episode here because I feel like this is a topic I want to go in more into depth to when I have more time um, because we're coming up to the 110 mark now anyway. Um, but yeah, it's like I say, racism does exist in the United Kingdom regardless of whether or not people think they can see it or not. Um, you know, there needs to be more investment in black communities. There needs to be more investment in, black, in the black youth and the younger generations of black people to help us get out of this cycle of violence, this cycle of um, defiance with the government, you know, push kids towards a more positive future rather than seeing that future from underneath their feet. 
Anyway, guys, that's going to be it from me. Um, I'm probably going to be doing a video on this anyway, like a more detailed, more structured video on this anyway. That was more my just raw thoughts and my raw ideas. Um, I'll be doing a video on it quite soon. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know, obviously, like, subscribe, share it with all your friends and all that kind of stuff. There is going to be a gaming video coming out soon, a gaming commentary where I play Modern Warfare very soon. So look out for that, guys. It will be on my YouTube channel, E versus the Culture. Remember to follow me on Twitter and Instagram keep up to date with the episodes when they're coming out and what subjects I'm going to do and like I say look out for that video where we're going to be talking about racism in the United Kingdom and we're going to be talking more specifically about the prison system and just exactly how it's going to affect the black community as always guys it was an absolute pleasure you guys being here with me hopefully you enjoyed the podcast if you did like I say like subscribe share all that kind of good stuff and I'll see you for episode 3 very soon once we hit episode 3 we'll probably be on Spotify and Apple Music by that point so thank you so much guys for uh listening and watching thank you guys so much for the support you have no idea how much it means to me and yeah i'll see you guys on the next episode bye